Would you open scripture to the book of James, chapter 1? We are continuing our series this morning through uh, the book of James. Um, some of the students who have missed for the last few weeks um, thought they're coming today, and we might be at the end of the book of James, and they were pleasantly surprised that we're just at the end of chapter 1. So James, chapter 1. Um, the passage that I'll be preaching from is verses 26 and 27, but for the sake of context, I'm going to read from verse 22 to verse 27. So James chapter 1, uh, we'll be reading from verse 22 to 27. Page uh, in the Pew Bibles is 1011. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you pray with me? Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Father, we recognize that it is only you by your presence, by your spirit, that uh, is able to speak to our hearts. Father, thank you for the revelation you have given to us. Thank you for being able to read it, to hear it. Father, help us now to understand it and help us to be able to be doers of it. We pray this in the name of Christ and for his glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Friends, people today might, might say this phrase. I'm not sure if you ever heard it. People would, uh, would sometimes say this. If your heart is right with God, how you live is less important. As long as your heart is right with God, that's all that matters. Have you heard that phrase? Some are nodding your heads. As long as your heart is right, exactly what you do is secondary. Well, friends, James will have none of that. James will have none of that. Quite the opposite. For James... How we live as Christians matters significantly. Here's why. And here's the first point. If you're taking notes, here's the first point. Here's why it matters significantly. The first point, your religion can be worthless. 
anyone's religion, anyone's profession of religion can be worthless. Look at verse 26. Let's read verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Today, the label religious is often used in a, in a negative way. Uh, to, to refer to someone who simply poses to be spiritual when in reality he is not. Others use this word or this description or label religious in a neutral way. Not to refer to anything necessarily negative, but just in a neutral way to refer to someone who is simply interested in religion. He is simply interested in, in religious activities. So, someone at work. If you talk about church and you say, I, what, do you, what did you do this weekend? I went to church and enjoyed uh, being with other friends who, um, who are Christians. They might think of you, oh, this dude is religious. Uh, they, they don't think that you're a hypocrite. They just think that you're interested in religious things. So in that sense, the word religious can actually be either positive or at least just neutral. It doesn't have a negative connotation. I think James is using this word in, in this at least neutral way. If anyone thinks he's religious, if anyone thinks he's interested in religious things and that religion characterizes him, if anyone thinks he's religious, uh, this person is interested in spiritual things. Yet look at the possibility that James presents that someone's religion could be worthless. Now, friends, this should give us some great chills. The word used for worthless is often uh, described uh, or often used uh, in the Bible elsewhere to describe idolatry. The worship of false gods. It's a word that can also be translated as empty or useless. Now, people who don't like Christianity, um, they make this claim about religion all the time. Oh, religion or oh, Christianity is, is worthless. It's useless. It's what's the value of it? Now, James uh, says this phrase, and he is not, he's not speaking against Christianity when he says this. Uh, this. This claim that your religion is, is worthless is not spoken by an enemy of religion or by an enemy of Christianity. Uh, he, it's, it's said and spoken by, by an apostle, by James, that someone's profession of their own religion could be worthless. Friends, let me ask you this. Do you have a category in your mind that someone's profession of religion could be worthless? Do you think about that possibility? Is that category even one of the categories, even in your mind, is one of the categories? Wow, someone's religion can be worthless. It's not saying it's, it's false or untrue. It's simply worthless. Now, why would anyone's religion be worthless or empty? Yeah. <laughs> look at, let's look at what the text says. 
because of the pre presence of, of self-deception. James introduced the possibility of, of self-deception in verse 22 in our passage. Uh, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And now in verse 26, we see a clear example of a self-deceiving heart. Now, James will unpack for us in the rest of this passage um, three marks uh, or three fruits uh, or three evidences. Uh, before we look at a few uh, of uh, at these evidences of, of, of true marks or true evidences of, of genuine faith, of true religion, we're going to look at these evidences shortly. But before we do that, I want to make sure uh, we understand what these are and what they're not. Uh, these marks of true faith or true religion, they are not the only ones. There are just three. If you understand more and what the other ones might be, I encourage you to read the letter of 1 John. The letter of 1 John. Study it. Meditate on it. On it. Consider meeting up with another believer to work through it carefully and understand what are other tests of genuine faith, uh, marks of genuine religion. 1 John is a wonderful book to meditate on and, and work through privately, either in your own quiet time or meet with another believer to work through it. Another resource I encourage you to, to consider, and we've been using this resource a lot here at Park Hills, is a book called Am I Really a Christian? by Mike McKinley. It's probably the book we've used most often in one-on-one -on -one discipling. Um, it's, uh, it's a wonderful book that encourages you to work through a number of, of tests or evidences, marks of, of, of what it mean to be a true Christian. If you want something that's even more heavy than 1 John or uh, the book Am I Really a Christian, which is not a very long book, it's a decent-sized book, if you want something even more challenging and you want to get, take it a, a step further in, I encourage you to read one of the Puritans, Jonathan Edwards, uh, a book entitled uh, Religious Affections. Uh, I want to encourage you, if uh, it's going to be a challenging book, it's good to stretch your mind, and it's good to uh, bring you humility. Uh, if you thought you knew much about it, uh, wonderful book, but it's challenging. I encourage you to consider it. But bottom line is this. James, the, the three marks that James gives us in this passage are not the only ones. There's many others, um, and I encourage you to consider those. But why is James bringing these particular three at this point in the letter? Well, these are examples of of what it means to be doers of the Word. Being doers of the Word affects our practical life. I love what Alec Motier said about, about James, uh, that the message of James, for James, to have the life of God in us and to remain unchangeable is unthinkable. So after James just spoke about the new birth that God has given us and caused in us through the living Word, in verse 18, after James tells us about hearing, the importance of hearing the Word, he goes on to make sure that it says we don't stop at just hearing, but we apply it. We become practitioners of it. And, and Motier says, James leaves no word, no middle ground for a moderate religion or a spirit of self-excuse. So then why these three marks? Why these three? We understand why they're here. 
Because James encouraged us to be not just mere do, uh, listeners, but doers, putting in practice. But why these three? Friends, because these are going to be actually the three main themes that James will unpack for the rest of the letter. If we look at the rest of the, of the, of the book, we realize that the theme of how we relate to the needy and the poor will be addressed in chapter 2. How we use our tongue is addressed in chapter 3. How we keep ourselves away from the stains of this world is going to be addressed in chapter 4 and even chapter 5. So these three marks at the end of chapter 1 function like a, like a little table of contents for the rest of the book of James, uh, for the rest of what this book will be like. So let's look at, at the three marks of genuine religion. Three marks of, of genuine religion. Look at verse 26. The first mark, and by the way, if you're taking notes, this would be point two. The mark of a controlled tongue. The mark of a controlled tongue. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. Now, the bridle was, uh, was a device um, which a horse rider would use in order to control his horse, or if he was riding it, to guide it. Uh, but James uses this picture of, of a bridle in a horse's mouth, uh, not for a mo- horse's mouth, but for our mouth. And specifically for our tongue. Our tongues need the bridle. Our tongues need to be controlled. Oh, friends, think how much damage a tongue can make in speaking a lie to a friend or to a boss and ruining your trust in your relationship or speaking words that destroy others, destroy relationships, destroy the unity of a church, or the opposite, speaking flattery, speaking words that are positive about someone else, but they're not true. And you know they're not true, but you say positive things just to flatter, just to put a a face while behind the scenes the heart is not there. You're just speaking things that are not true, even even though they are positive. Or how about exaggerations for the sake of of giving a good story, Uh, for the sake of impressing someone, for the sake of, of, of exaggerating reports? Here's the point. James tells us that true religion, when genuine, will impact someone's speech. True religion is evidenced in us by the way we control our tongue, by the way we speak. By the way, Paul spoke in Galatians 5, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 22, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. How do you know the Spirit is inside of you? How do you know the Spirit is working in you? One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And one of the subsets where the Spirit of, the Spirit of God works self-control in us is the way we use our tongue. Now, James told us already in verse 19 that we should be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Who gives you the power to be slow to speak? The Spirit of God. 
that works in our hearts to transform us. And now in verse 26, James expects this self-control to be exercised in the way we use our tongue. Several weeks ago, I was in a conversation with, with, some, with some folks, um, and someone had made a critical comment about a situation. And, and I inquired uh, privately about it, more about it, about that critical comment that was made. And the person responded back, and he said, Perhaps I spoke too harshly about the situation. And I was moved by that response. Because this person was saying, well, perhaps I want to make sure I don't spread false conclusions about a situation. I want to make sure you don't, underst- you don't understand more than I, what, what I intended. I don't want to spread things that are not true or exaggerate the, the impact of those. So he just put a pause on that conversation. He said, perhaps I spoke too harshly about it. An example of someone who controlled his tongue in the aim of, of not spreading things, even if some things may have been true about the situation. He realized, what if I spoke too harshly about it? An example of controlling the tongue and cherish and delight and pursue growing in controlling your tongue. Refrain from speaking things that have a destructive power. Refrain from using your tongue in a positive way in order to manipulate a situation. Refrain from using your tongue in an uncontrollable way. For James not controlling the tongue And yet thinking that we are religious is actually an example of self-deceiving in the heart. Even if you you might think that your heart is right, when you don't control your tongue, you're actually deceiving your heart. Friend, the connection between the mouth and the heart is seen elsewhere in the Bible. James is not the only one who makes this connection. Let me give you a few passages in Scripture where we see a connection between what comes out of this organ of the mouth, the tongue, and actually what happens in the heart. Let me give you a few references. These are not the only ones. I'm going to start with some of the Gospels. Uh, Jesus says a good person, this is Jesus, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Four, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Let that connection sink in. Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Wow. God cares. And God will hold us accountable on the day of judgment even for every careless word we have spoken. Let that sink in. Let that help you realize the weightiness of what happens when you merely speak. Psalm 15, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist asks, 
O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And the answer is, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue. I love what Motir says, um, the tongue and the heart are linked so that the tongue is an accurate index of what we are at the core of our persons. My friends, what does this mean for us? James puts a spotlight on our mouths. James puts a spotlight on our mouths so that we can get a better picture of what is in our hearts. Do not belittle this test or this mark of the heart. Don't deceive your heart by ignoring the red light on the dashboard of your mouth. When you can't control your mouth, something is wrong with the heart. It's not simply that your mouth is a problem. It's not simply that you have a tongue problem. Your heart is a problem. And until you recognize your mouth as a heart problem, it's, friends, it's as if, you know, if you had a heart, let's, let's think medically. If you had a, a medical problem with your mouth, you would go to a mouth doctor. Spiritually, if you have a spiritual problem with your mouth, you have to go and treat your heart. Do you see how that works? It's not simply, I got to treat my mouth. No, it's, it's I got to deal with a heart from which this mouth problem happens. That's a connection between, between the heart and the mouth. That's why James puts the, the spotlight on the mouth so that he can help us address the heart. Friends, if you use your tongue, if you think that your tongue has an issue, ask, ask yourself and ask another believer to help you work through this issue of the heart. And I'd love to point you to some resources that you can go through with another believer to address the problem of the mouth because it's a problem of the heart. Friends, when you see, what about other people? When you see other, and perhaps other believers, other members of our own church, uh, other engage in intentions, in harsh and destructive speech to one another. Friends, if you notice that in someone else, don't let such things go unaddressed. If you notice foul language or, or, or speech that is destructive, friends, don't let that, those things go unaddressed. In love and kindness, address such behavior with them, pointing out the seriousness of what James is saying in these verses. Friends, James says that if we think we're religious and we're not careful with our mouth, but deceive the heart, our religion is worthless. This is serious matter. Address it. Address it with kindness. Address it with love. Address it winsomely, but address it. Encourage one another. Watch over one another. The second test of a genuine religion, of a genuine uh, faith, is the test of caring for others. Especially the test of caring for those who can't return you any favors. Orphans and widows. 
helps them. Look at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions. Now, in ancient times, uh, when the state did not have uh, programs to assist the needy, uh, especially it was the priority and the responsibility of God's people to take care of those among them who were in that condition. In the Old Testament, God has given the Israelites clear instructions about how they should care for their orphans and their widows. I'm going to read just a few passages. Uh, there are many more. Exodus 22, 22, right before they get out of Egypt, at Mount Sinai, they receive the law and how they should operate as a new people of God. And now God says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Psalm 68, 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. This te these texts and many others show us God's heart for those who cannot provide for themselves, those who cannot protect themselves. Friends, may I say that doesn't just stop at orphans and widows. Today's we might include the unborn. Whoever is in a situation where they cannot protect for them themselves, they cannot provide for themselves, God says we need to be concerned for them. God Himself is a father. It has the role of, of whatever they lack. That is what God is for them. But notice, notice the relational concern for the orphan and the widows. James encourages us not simply to, to write a check. No, James says, visit them in their afflictions. Visit them. Do you hear the, the, the relational connection here? Uh, this involves a relational involvement. We are to visit not simply the people who are our friends, but the people who need our attention and care, who don't have it. I was so encouraged a few weeks ago when I heard that, that the McGills had visited on Easter Sunday Gladys Riggs in her nursing home. And here's a beautiful part about that visit. Uh, Ryan and Katie had no idea who she was, nor did she know who they were. But they went and visited. And, and, and we have other members here who, who do that on a regular basis. Sharon Meacham, when she comes in the office every, every Tuesday when she's here, she calls every homebound member to see how they're doing, even though she may have called them just the previous week. Just call to see how was your week. Anything we need to know, anything we can pray about, anything we can do for you. A way for us to, as a church, to, to care for them. But I'm so encouraged by, by many other members who just do it without any kind of program or uh, just, just do it out of the, the love of their heart. Uh, Paul Beeman, Larry Meacham, um, Paul Horton and other members like Sue Kidwell uh, and many others have taken on responsibilities uh, to care for certain, several of our widows who, who need help. And, and I love, I know some of the widows who, who, who are okay, they take it upon themselves to, to call other widows. I love that. Members, continue to do that. And especially those who are not able to be with us on a regular basis. Uh, we have a membership directory, and, and when, in the back of that directory we have a list of uh, even the pictures of those who are homebound members. Call them. 
see if they would be open to receive a visit from you. We have a, we have a member who lives in a nursing home right across this church in, in, the, in Brookdale. I encourage you to go and, and, and see her and, and visit her. Way of, of caring and, and showing concern, not just for the people we like to hang out with, not just for the people who are our friends, who encourage us and we encourage them and, and it, we have so much in common. Care for people who need our help, who need our encouragement, who cannot get it on their own and, and who cannot protect themselves and provide for themselves. I'm so thankful for the ministry of, of Paul Beeman in our congregation who encourages us and, and motivates us to go once a month on the fourth uh, Wednesday of every month and, and take a group of our members uh, to the soup kitchen. So we are involved in feeding the homeless in Austin. So praising God for, for that tenacity and faithfulness. I'm so enc encouraged by, by Kathy Lapp, who every year in, leads our church to provide for Christmas gifts for children who are whose parents are incarcerated and who may not be able to get a gift, a Christmas gift from their dads or moms. So we are led in that ministry. Friends, when these members or others encourage you to consider helping in these various ways, I hope you, 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 you go outside of your comfort zone and try to make a point to, to be a part of these ministries. When we show care and love towards orphans and widows or those who are needy and cannot protect themselves and provide for themselves, we reflect the Father's character towards those who cannot help themselves and provide for themselves. Now, friends, let me, let me make clear. I want to give a caution. There might be some who might live individualistic lives, might not care much about the Word, they might not care much about hearing the Word or applying it, but they say, oh, if I just do these acts of caring for, for, the, for those who are in prison or for, for those who are orphans and for those who are widows and do help the homeless... You know, that's true religion. Don't worry about this. Or don't worry about, about opening up my life to others and caring for others. I'm just going to do this once in a while, a few times a year, as a way of, hey, I'm doing the true religion thing. And they silence their conscience that way. I want to make sure you understand, these acts of kindness and these acts of opening to others are not supposed to be done apart from hearing and doing the Word of God. They're not supposed to be done apart from opening our lives to one another as a pattern of being a Christian. Being a Christian means opening our lives to other Christians, living as members with other Christians together, belonging to one another. That's the premise of the whole book of James. And, and when, when the point of, of these particular verses is to say that our care for one another is not simply to be limited to those whom we like. We're not supposed to care and, and provide this openness and this mutual encouragement and providing for one another just for those who are closest to us. We're supposed to do it even for those who, who are not going to return the favor back because they can't. So I want to make sure we understand that we're not supposed to do social action at the expense of, of immersing ourselves in the Word of God, of hearing it and wanting to do it, or at the expense of of understanding of what it means to be the people of God together every, every week. Genuine religion, religion opens our hearts in such a way that we open our lives to others, even to those who cannot return the favor back to us. So we've seen the test of controlling our tongue, the test of controlling 
uh, are, uh, are caring for others or the marks of uh, caring for others. Lastly, the mark of pursuing purity. The mark of pursuing purity. The, la the, the last uh, phrase in, chapter, in verse 27, let me read the whole verse again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What does it mean to keep oneself unstained from the world? Well, what is the world? Is it simply society? Does it mean that we need to withdraw to our own uh, little uh, secluded community and not have any engagement with our society, with, our, with the institutions of society? Is that what the world means? Absolutely not. Rather, the, the world refers to the ungodly values, the ungodly life values, systems uh, that oppose the will of God. Anything that's done apart from God or anything that's done in opposition to Him. Similarly, in 1 John 2.15, uh, the, the apostle says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, the world is, is that which is incompatible with God's ways. That's why the love for the Father cannot be in the one who loves the world. He cannot love two opposites who are incompatible with one another at the same time. So the world is that which is incompatible with God's ways, with God's glory, with God's will. The world is a realm of corruption of what God created. To love the world is to love our autonomy from God. To love the world is to love our separation from God. When we actually love to be separated from God, we don't want God to be involved. We can do things on our own. We don't need to inquire of Him or seek His ways. We can do this on our own. When you love that separation, whatever decision in life you're making, you are loving the world or, or loving anything that actually blatantly opposes His ways. So how should we relate to whatever is opposite to God or separate from Him? Some people think that you can be a Christian and not worry about the things that oppose God. Some Christians think that as long as they have said a prayer or as long as they go to church or as long as they think of themselves as being Christians, it won't hurt them to do the things which God doesn't want us to do. Some Christians even say that Christianity is not about rules, that it's about a relationship. Have you heard that slogan? Let me say this, that slogan is very dangerous. If you want to know why, come and talk to me at the end of the service. The slogan that Christianity is not about rules but a relationship is a very dangerous slogan. It has only a partial truth, and the rest is untrue. I'll talk to you more if you're interested to know more about that after the service. Hopefully that engage, encourages you to engage with me after the service. Oh, friends, realize that let me, let me give you an example. If you're married, you think you have a relationship with your wife. If you're married, I hope you have a relationship with your wife. Um, or if you're a woman with your husband. Uh, think of it this way. If you're married, what happens when you intentionally act against your spouse's wishes? When you ignore intentionally 
what they say, and when you actually act in such a way that really pleases you more than pleasing your spouse and serving more you than your spouse. You do that regularly, if that becomes a pattern, your relationship will break down even while you will continue to remain married. You, are, you will start living like two strangers in the same house and perhaps even like two enemies even though you're still married and still live in the same roof, on the same roof. How often Christians think that they have a relationship with God, but they willingly engage, willingly, intentionally, carelessly in the activities and thoughts that actually oppose God. They make decisions that oppose God. They make decisions that just don't care about God, God's ways. James says that a genuine faith, a religion that is pure and undefiled, in other words, a religion that is not contaminated and stained, is that which aims to keep oneself unstained and uncontaminated by whatever is separate from God, whatever is separate and opposing the ways of God. Friends, let me ask you this. Does your religion lead you to keep yourself unstained from the world? You say you have a relationship with God. Does that relationship lead you, motivate you to keep yourself unstained by the world? Now, let me clarify something. I want to make sure you understand. If you're not a Christian, I want you to understand, to realize that according to the Bible, we cannot purify our religion before God. We cannot procure, produce for us a pure religion before God. The pure and undefiled religion is that which only Christ can give us. Only God can give us through His Son, Jesus. No human laws, no human perfections can make our religion pure and undefiled before God. If our sin is not dealt with on God's terms, if our sin is not dealt with by the means with which God provided, our greatest act of charity stand before God as filthy rags. The only path to have a religion that is pure and undefiled is if we rely and depend upon the blood of Christ to cleanse us, to cleanse our hearts, to cleanse our conscience. The blood of Christ is God's means to purify us from every stain of sin. Prince God sent His Son into the world to die the death that we deserved and to give us a perfection that we could not have obtained for ourselves. Three days later, the Son of God, Jesus, was raised by God from the dead to prove that He had paid the penalty and has conquered the penalty of our sin and has been triumphant over death. Oh, friend, if you're not a Christian, realize this great dilemma that you are in. Who will cleanse you from the stain of sin? What will cleanse your conscience? What will cleanse your heart from the stains of sin? The stains, by the way, with which you were born with. 
You didn't have to sin to be a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. Who will cleanse that? What will cleanse it? I'll tell you one thing. You can't. And no religious performance, if you will, will be able to do that for you. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse the stain of sin. Therefore, oh friend, I plead with you. I ask, I encourage you. Repent of your sin. Tur realize it. Turn away for, from it. Desire it to be cleansed. And ask Jesus. Believe that the blood of Jesus is the only means that God has provided for the sake of your soul to be cleansed by the stain of sin. Rely on that provision. Trust in that provision. Depend upon that provision and that alone. Oh, friends, if you desire that for your heart, for your life, I pray that you would do so and you would repent and trust in Christ today. If you desire to know more about that, I encourage you to come and talk to me at the end of the service or talk to another believer here, another Christian, who can tell you more about it. This is the beginning of that, of that cleansing that God promised to do, to enact through His Spirit. But be sure of this, that this pure and undefiled religion also will give you the desire to keep you unstained from the world. It is a Spirit of God that takes residence inside of you who creates this new desire for God's purity, for God's holiness, for a religion that is pure and undefiled. It's a Spirit of God who enables you to shun away from anything that, you, that would stain you before God. Friend, let me ask you once again, is your faith in Jesus the kind of religion that motivates you to keep yourself unstained by the world? You'd like to know more about that? I'd love to encourage you to read the book by Jerry Bridges, The Pursuit of Holiness. It's a wonderful book that will help you understand the dynamics the, the, the practical ways in which you can respond and pursue that purity because we, realize, we have to realize we are in a battle between two natures inside of us. There's a nature, the old nature that will desire the old ways. And there's a new nature that God has implanted in us through the regeneration caused by the hearing of God's Word that, that now desires the purity of God. If you want to know more about this battle between, between the two and how to pursue the purity of God once God has regenerated your heart, Encourage you to, to pick up the book, the book, The Pursuit of Purity. Of, I'm sorry, The Pursuit of Holiness. Read by yourself or read with another believer. Talk about it and let that apply and see how you can apply it to your heart. Friends, as we come to the end of this message, I encourage you, I want to remind you that James has been building a case from verse 22 to the end of verse 27 and has given us a warning about being mere listeners of the word and not being doers of it. It's a worthless religion watch out. It benefits you nothing. It's like the man who looks at the mirror, sees himself for a moment, then leaves, and as soon as he leaves, he forgets. That look in the mirror benefits that man nothing. But the true religion, the pure religion, is marked by these three marks of genuine faith. The mark of a controlled tongue, 
the mark of caring for others, especially the needy, the mark of pursuing purity. Friends, all these marks are signposts that confirm that one's hearing of the word is not in vain. These are examples of the kind of obedience, the kind of receiving of the word, which this entire paragraph has been speaking of. This text is not centered, um, is not concerned, sorry, it's not concerned with a danger of us deceiving others. This text is concerned with the danger of deceiving ourselves. Instead of that self-deception that renders our religion worthless, James motivates us to pursue a religion that is pure and undefiled, a genuine faith before God, which is evidence in one's obedience to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you remind your people in your Word about the dangers and the cautions of not simply deceiving others, but deceiving ourselves. Father, we pray that you would expose the self-deception in us if any of us are in, in danger of that, if any of us are on, on the path towards it. Father, help, it, help us and put in us desires that, that, that seek to, to keep us on the path of self-examination and the path of a genuine religion, a genuine and pure, undefiled faith. Lord, we pray that the faith we profess in you will bear much fruit. We pray that that fruit would be seen by others. They would glorify you and see the power of the gospel. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.